Welcome to the joy thrill ride of Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme, recorded live on stage and without notes. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, you never know where you'll land. It's the slam from the opening show of our action theme season, Jump, held on November 29th, 2016 at Jump, our new all-ages venue in downtown Boise. During the slam, we randomly drew five names from a mini bathtub in honor of our show sponsor, Bath Planet, and the brave few jumped up on stage for a five-minute story. Jump to it. It's story time. And we're super excited to have Sam Bream come up and tell us his story that he worked on at the workshop. Okay, my name is Sam, and I'd say the biggest jump I've ever made in my life was about three years ago when I moved to Boise, Idaho, sight unseen and all alone. And I drove up uh, 95 North, and I got out at Marsing, and the first thing I thought was, oh my gosh, it smells like cows out here. <laughs> and uh, I actually moved here for an engineering job, and you know, I'll admit that I've been quite the math geek over the last 10 years, but Things weren't always like that, and I had a lot of problems in high school, kind of getting in trouble a lot. So when I was 16, I snuck out one night, and I stole my mom's car, and I picked up some friends, and we drove up into the hills, and we drank some beers, and naturally the cops came, and they caught us, and arrested us, and we went to juvenile hall, and they called my mom, and they said, hey, can you come pick up your son? And she said, oh, my Sammy, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. And uh, so, of course, she, she got up and she went down into my room and there were a bunch of blankets underneath the covers. And then she looked outside and the car was gone. So she called her boyfriend and they came and picked me up and I got grounded for, you know, a month, I think. Very long time. And, you know, things like that would happen a lot when I was young. And at one point I snuck into my chemistry teacher's class and I changed all my grades, and my grades weren't even that bad, I just wanted to see if I would get away with it. And, and I did not get away with it at all. And he, he caught me in the act, and I got suspended, and I got grounded again for a while. But I think the, the biggest thing that happened was when my mom went out of town, and I had a party, and I invited all sorts of people over, and it just got out of hand, and a lot of, too many people came, a lot of things got broken, a lot of things got stolen, and uh, when my mom came home, well, in the morning, I just went snowboarding, and I didn't even clean up. And I was just so foolish, it was almost like I wanted to get caught. And uh, so they caught me, and you know, I got, this time they said, we're not gonna ground you this time, because it's just not working. They said, we're gonna send you to military school instead. And as a 16-year-old, that's just the worst thing. That's the you know, worst punishment that can happen. And so I, I said, well, I'm not gonna go. So I ran away for a couple days. And while I was gone, I slept on some couches and it just got kind of old and I realized, I'm not gonna get away with this and I'm only making things worse for myself. So you know, I need, I need to go home and deal with this. And so I got home at six in the morning and me and my dad got on the airplane and he took me to military school in Harlingen, Texas. And uh, you know, he'd left me there. And I learned a lot there and I think it was really good for me. I, you know, learned some discipline and some respect, which are things I was definitely lacking. And all the other kids there were in similar positions of their life. 
and I feel like I learned a lot. And when I moved back to Reno, you know, the next year, I went to high school as a junior, and I took a physics class with Mr. Chambers. And he was just one of those teachers that was really inspiring to me. He looks kind of like Santa Claus if you crossed him with that Mythbuster, I think Jamie. <laughs> and he would do all sorts of ridiculous uh, experiments, and he had this capacitor that he would charge up, and when kids fell asleep in his class, he'd sneak up on them, and he would zap them back awake. And we, we all thought that was so funny. And uh, then he, he, uh, he got me to join the math club, and then I was actually the president of the math club for a little bit. And even after I graduated, I'd go, and I'd go visit him, you know, every few months. And I don't know if, if those two things, those two things in conjunction kind of helped me decide I should go to school and become an engineer. And if those two things did not happen to me, then I don't know where I would be right now, but I don't think I would have made the jump to move here to Boise, Idaho. And when I got through Marsing and I got to my apartment in Boise, I was very relieved that it didn't smell like cow poop out here. <laughs> and I guess I just have to say the reason I tell this story is because I think the role this building will play in our community is to teach us a passion and some direction in life and somewhere to go. Thank you. I thought you were pointing at each other. It's like, there's about six of you. All right, here we go. Well, I, I have a uh, brief but spectacular story to share with you, if you don't mind my borrowing that from uh, PBS NewsHour. And it span, literally spans decades and a whole five continent. And, um, <laughs> and, and which is why I'm going to make it brief. <laughs> Flashback about six, seven months, April, springtime in Boise, gorgeous day. Any of you who live here or have even just visited during that time know just how sweet and dulcet it can be. Um, and I was walking eh, just down the way here, approaching the corner of 10th and Main, uh, south side of the street, and dreaming dreams of impending summer, and uncharacteristically waiting at the crosswalk for the sign to flash, go, and sign flashed, and I started across, you know, 19, 18, 17, plenty of time, so, I feel totally free to indulge in my dream world when all of a sudden, in the back of my head, I hear one simple word, jump. And I think, jump? What is this, like some kind of flash aerobics class? I mean, I jump, and all of a sudden I hear it again, louder, more urgent, jump! And it still doesn't penetrate that this might be for me because what's the point of jumping in the middle of an intersection? And all of a sudden I hear it again, really loud, really urgent, 
jump! And it goes right to my cerebral cortex, and I jump, just as a car pulls through the intersection, right where I was standing, brushes me in the butt, and keeps on going. Now, I, I looked across the street and saw a young man, looked like a college student, give me a big old grin, holding his thumb up like that. <laughs> yeah, man, you did it. You heard me. And if you, he, he just merrily walked on his way. I never got to thank him. If you're in the audience tonight, please come up. I owe you a drink. <laughs> but I thought it was so brilliant that instead of shouting, watch out, you're doomed, <laughs> whatever, you know, any number of things he could have called out, he chose to call jump. And that's the word that got to me, and instinctively, I jumped. Well, now I got a flashback, I hate to say this, 45 years, uh, but if, have any of you been to uh, Cambridge, Mass this time of year? One of the best places in the U.S. to uh, be during the holiday season. I was there for, with some friends, walking right straight through the middle of Cambridge, light snow in the air, kind of like a snow globe. Uh, hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of people out. You probably know that Harvard, MIT, Rad, then Radcliffe, all there, students by the zillions, and a really festive air in the atmosphere. And we were at one of the, uh, my friends and I were just approaching one of the major intersections um, in Cambridge. And the light changed, and we all, tens and tens of people, both sides started flowing across. Uh, when all of a sudden, we all heard at the same time this vicious squealing of tires, the roar of an amped up eight-cylinder engine, and lo and behold, we looked off uh, down the intersecting highway, and there was this car approaching the intersection, and all of these pedestrians going 40 miles an hour, unabated, straight for all these people, no signs of braking, and all of a sudden there were screams, cries everywhere, people jumping all over the place. Uh, and my friends and I were really out of harm's way, but we moved back to the curb, and to our collective horror, we saw this one young man out there fixed, pinioned in the headlights. Uh, typical to the times, long hair down to here, a kind of semi-ZZ top uh, beard, um, uncharacteristically a suede, you remember these things, a suede brown jacket with fringe running up the sleeves. And unlike most guys of the day, who we were mostly wearing bell bottoms, really tight pants, really tight pants. I remember this to my dying day. But it was horrifying because there was no way that he was getting out of the way of that speeding vehicle. And all of us were expecting blood, guts, um, the horrible. And somewhere, there must have been a voice in that chaos, like my street angel just around the corner here, <laughs> a voice calling out to this guy, or maybe it was an inner voice, I don't know, jump, jump. And just as that car was about to hit him, you know what he did? He jumped straight up in the air, 
like a gymnast. He must have been a gymnast. Already pivoting at the waist. This has got to be legendary somewhere in Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> Hundreds of people saw this. Put his hands down on the hood as his car was barreling at him. The momentum of the car flung him, it seemed like, all the way up to the roof as he continued to do a full layout flip, 15, 20, I don't know, 50 feet in the air, <laughs> up among the snow clouds, light, fully lighted by the ambient light of Boston and Cambridge. Can you see it? This perfect front flip. And he sticks the landing. All right, we've got a slammer coming up. Hmm. That's a person who also has the initials JR, but it's uh, JR Zufelt. Come on up. I feel very fortunate. <laughs> uh, so hi, my name is JR, and um, wow. I think for a lot of people, uh, uh, publicly, 2016 has been one hell of a year. Can we all agree a little bit? I mean, in so many regards, and I'll leave that up to your own personal interpretation. But for me, it's been uh, quite a year as well. Um, I got to start out my year by deciding with my good friend Dan back in Anchorage, Alaska, where I uh, lived at the time, that we were going to, at the ripe old ages of uh, 34 and 39, we were gonna learn how to do backflips. <laughs> Him on his skis, me and my snowboard. This seemed like a great idea. So we went to the local trampoline park, which was new to Anchorage, it's called Get Air. And we learned how to do backflips. And then we went to the backcountry and we found a nice safe spot to build a jump and we uh, learned how to do backflips. <laughs> so I'd say that would probably be, uh, it, was, it was a great opening to 2016, uh, landing in powder snow, or almost landing, I should be honest about it, almost landing in powder snow, but always at least putting your feet down, but going upside down, going inverted is uh, interesting. Um, but then uh, a couple weeks later, um, I suddenly got the chance to jump to a part of my life that I didn't think I would get to at the relatively young age of 34, talent. Um, my father passed away, and I wasn't expecting to have to say goodbye, you know, at this age. Um, but it happens, uh, and it's happened to people. Um, some people have, you know, 
they didn't even get to know their father, you know? So I, I uh, took that perspective and many others that some people gave to me uh, very graciously and um, uh, value and cherish the time that I had with my dad. Uh, I have two younger brothers. Um, they and other family all came together and we had the um, celebration of life. Uh, uh, the day... <laughs> Uh, after my 34th birthday. So actually, I guess I was 33 when he passed away. So um, it was nice to have family around at that time, obviously. Uh, and since then, um, 2016 has given me the opportunity to make a lot of changes and leaping into new territory, and that has included Boise, Idaho. <laughs> Um, and it's and it's fantastic, and and uh, and this right here, what we're what we're experiencing right now, and what we're being a part of, uh, is is amazing. Um, this kind of event, uh, the fact that we can um, be inspired by by Tom here, who's talking about doing crazy things, crazier, far crazier than learning a backflip at the age of 33. I should, 34, whatever, 39 for my buddy Dan. Uh, be be uh, uh, inspired and welcomed into this building here uh, by Maggie and Scott, you know, and um, and uh, knowing that this community will benefit from the jump building, and then learning from Talon just generally um, the value of life. Right. Uh, when I was in Anchorage, I spent the last five years there, um, actually volunteering with a. Uh, an event, a group, a, a nonprofit called Arctic Entries that does storytelling events, live storytelling events, and then they donate the pro the proceeds to nonprofit, another nonprofit in the community, and um, it certainly enriched my life. And when I made the bittersweet decision to come to Boise, where my mother and my grandmother live, so I could spend time with them as my grandmother ages and is unfortunately starting to suffer from uh, memory loss, and and um, uh, we're not quite sure how to. Uh, diagnose it now or what, what, to, what name to give it, but um, uh, uh, I wanted to come down and spend time with her, you know, quality time with her, and, um, uh, but I had to leave behind everything that I knew in Anchorage and that area I built. I'd lived in Alaska since I was five, you know, and um, uh, it was scary, and, and to leave Arctic Entry is something that had, like, become such a part of me and, like, fostered in me my desire to be a part of a community and, and give something to the community, and, um, and storytelling is just that amazing uh, uh, that medium that have, have been around for millennia, right? That, uh, that's how we learn and how we grow is from hearing stories and being taught lessons through these, these verbal you know, passages, or uh, pa you know, passing on of information and experiences. Um, uh, without them, uh, we would probably not have pulled our shoot in time, and that's it, you know? So uh, you learn from other people's experiences. Um, uh, and so I made that decision. Um, I'm going to leave. And it was scary as hell, but it was exciting as well. And, and when, it was, when it became exciting, once I finally started, I went and told my boss, and I was like, I think I have to quit. I've, I've been working for you for almost 10 years, but I think I have to quit. And he, he negotiated me to three weeks, <laughs> because he's, he said something about glue in his company, and uh, I, was like, I was very grateful and <laughs> gracious for that. But uh, uh, I was like, I've got to go do this, right? And um, uh, so I, uh, 
I've jumped into a new community and this thing that you guys are doing here is making me very excited to be a part of Boise. So if anybody out there wants to come and say hi and tell me what their favorite part of Boise is and what I should experience, where I should apply for work, what I should do to become a part, ingrain myself into this community. That was the selfish part of the storytelling right there. How I should become a part of Boise and give back to Boise. That's what I want to do. Please come and find me. Thank you. Thank you, Jody. Sam Matice, everyone. Actually, everybody looks at it and they think it's French and it's actually Russian. And it's actually, if you go back east, it's Matice. Anyway, jump. And I believe that you can jump into anything that your heart really wants to do. And years and years ago, I was living in western Oklahoma, and a friend of mine was uh, training polo ponies. And he said, and I said, well, you know, what do you have to do? He says, well, you know, da 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 And we're sitting there drinking a beer, and he, said, and he gets a phone call, and he says, you want in? And I said, I don't know. And he says, here it is. And he gives me the phone. As a kid, and it's a guy from Midland, Texas. And he says, I'm on the phone, and he says, who are you? And I said to him, he said, what do you know about polo? And I'm thinking, can I bowl this guy or not? And I said, well, I've seen it on television. <laughs> and he said, well, Eddie says you're, you train horses. I said, well, I do that. He says, you want a draw, job training polo ponies? I said, hell yeah. <laughs> and I drove from western Oklahoma down to Midland, Texas, and I traveled across the United States training polo ponies. I had no idea what the hell I was doing when I got there, but, you know, that's irrelevant. The next jump was I was back east, and I heard they had a strip mine. Gillen Strip Mines was, had the biggest drag line in the United States of America at the time. And I heard they were hiring, so I went up there, and. The guy says, can you drive a truck? I said, hell yeah, I can drive a truck. He didn't ask me how big a truck I could drive. He just said, can you drive a truck? Yeah. So they hired me. And so I drive my pickup up to and meet the foreman. And he takes me up. Now picture this. This is a big flat. Now this is a strip mine. If you, everybody's seen a strip mine, right? I mean, and it's. And you drive up on this flat, and there's about 60, at the time, there were only 60-tonner dump trucks. The tires are six foot high. And he's driving up, and he drives up to number 63, and he said, this is yours. And I said, okay, fine. And I get up out of his pickup, and I'm walking towards this truck, and I'm thinking, you know, there were six, there was about a million truck drivers up there, out there, and they're driving truck, and they're dumber than I am, so I should be able to do this, right? <laughs> so I get in the truck, and it's one of those where just no, you know, just the cab for the driver. 
And I'm sitting there, and I, and I start the truck, because I figured that out, and I wave at the guy, and he drives, and I'm thinking, and I haven't looked at the console yet. And I'm sitting there, and he drives away, and I go like this. <laughs> and it says, PD123. Got it. It is an automatic. <laughs> I slap that booger in drive and off I go and I go down into the strip mine and I pull right up there and I'm sitting there with all these other trucks and pretty soon I see this kid that I knew and I said Maloney and he said Matthijs I didn't know you were a truck driver I said neither did I until about five minutes ago but that's irrelevant I said by the way how do you dump this thing he said you're kidding right I said not even a bit I said, how do you dump this thing? So he told me how to dump it, and I lasted about three weeks on that job, and you know, because it was boring. It paid like a slot machine, but boy, drive down, drive back, dump, drive down, and I was boring. So then I heard about this other job, and it was with the Veterans Administration. I'm a, uh, a non-vet. Anyway, I, they said they had a damage assessor position. And so I applied, and the guy says, what do you know about building? I said, well, you know, I worked as a, as a bricklayer, and I worked, you know, uh, as a, in a lumber yard. I didn't tell him that I was a mudslinger and a bricklayer. That's, just, that's the guy that carries the, the cement up to, for the bricklayer. I didn't, never really put any bricks down. And in the lumber yard, I was a cleanup guy. <laughs> so this is in... Northeastern Pennsylvania, it's in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, if anybody knows where that is. And the Susquehanna River had flooded. And so I was working for the Veterans Administration. My job was to go down to those people who had veterans loans, and I was to assess the damage on their houses. And so I'm thinking, how are you going to do this? So I lucked out big time, so I very first house I went into, I said, I wa I'm walking around like I know what I'm doing. I have not a clue. And the guy, and the guy says, well, HUD, Housing and Urban Development, his, their, their guy was here earlier. And I said, well, what did he see the damage was? And he said, well, they said the damage was $3,700. I said, okay. So I'm taking these copious notes, and they get finished, and he says, well, what do you think? I said, oh, 3,700 is way too low, 4,000, easy 4,000. <laughs> and so the next, I went to these houses, and these houses, and these houses, and every, for the next three or four houses, every time I got there, HUD would been there. And so long story short, by the end, they offered me a permanent job to do this damn stuff. One quick story, I'm walking down the street looking for this house, looking for this house, and I said to this guy, I said, hey, do you know where so-and-so house is? He says, or, or so-and-so guy, he says, yeah, that's me. I said, where's your house? He says, last time I saw it, it was floating down the Susquehanna. See, I told you it was going to be a woman. Here she comes. 
So it starts out with looking for someone to have adventures with. At least that's what my Plenty of Fish profile said. <laughs> online dating, hooray. <laughs> so online dating is already scary enough because meeting people in real life. <laughs> if that isn't bad, talking to strangers on the internet is pretty bad too. But, so I met somebody online, they're actually sitting in the audience, and so we started the whole dating adventure, you already jump into that. And so we started having small adventures around Boise, hiking or going to Bruno Sand Dunes, things like that. So I always had to like maintain that adventuresome persona. More things, you know, you can't let them know that sometimes you sit at home in your pajamas all day eating ice cream and binge watching Monk, ignoring your phone. <laughs> so about a month in, we had already a pretty epic adventure. It was a road trip to the California Redwoods and that can turn out really well or really bad. You don't really know the person, and you're in a car for six hours, and it turned out really well. It's a story for another time, but <coughs> I totaled their truck on the way home. <laughs> and so we st I kept trying to think of adventures, trying to think, think of things to do, and I'm kind of a person that I look for symbolism in things. I'm like, okay, my birthday is coming up in December, and this is September. I'm like, I need to think of something, you know, meaningful for my 32nd birthday. Something scary and adventuresome. I need to impress somebody that rock climbs and kayaks and mountain bikes, and I am not nearly so adventuresome sometimes. So I decided, let's go skydiving. And I should have known that they were going to agree because they already agreed to going on a road trip with me and they don't even know me. So they agreed and I'm like, ah, oh, crap. I can't back out now. And I kind of figured I'd procrastinate a little bit until they reminded me, hey, have you called them? And I'm like, ah, oh, man. Call them, make the appointment. So we're driving there out to Caldwell and I'm thinking, okay, I can still back out. I'm like, hey, if you want to back out, it's all right. I won't feel bad. It's okay. And they're like, no, we're doing it. I'm like, oh, man. So you get there, and you sign about you know, a bigger stack of papers, and you sign for a home loan. No matter what happens, you can't sue them, long story short. You watch a video. I'm like, I need to barf. <laughs> still not feeling too good about this. I go do that, like you barf, I'm like, oh yeah, you know it. I'm getting this out of the way so I don't throw up in the air. <laughs> and so you meet your instructor and you know, they're young guys and they're, they've done it a million times, not scared at all, making jokes. I'm like, this is horrible. <laughs> Are you having a good time? Oh yeah, real good. Walk out to the plane, you're in your jumpsuit, you're wearing your harness. They kind of tell you what's going on, they start to film you. They have a little camera on their arm, filming, and I'm not very exciting. Are you excited? Oh yeah, real excited. <laughs> this is great, film someone else. So you get in the plane, and so it's me, my, my instructor, my boyfriend, his instructor, and then three people that were just going alone. And the whole time, it's like the apprehension, everything's building, and you're like, oh no, I actually have to do this. There's no backing out now. And they attach you to the guy, because you're tandem jumping, and so you're sitting 
really, really close to someone you don't, you know even less than the person you're like trying to date and impress. And you're all like in their lap and they're you know, strapping the harness on so you get closer and I'm like, I don't trust this harness. I really don't, but it is what it is. You get as high as you're gonna go and they open the door and they're like, it's time to go and there's no waiting, there's no looking and there's no, you know, can we second guess this? And people are out, poof, they're gone. I'm like, what? What? You're not even asking me again if I, you know, I really, really want to do this because I don't. And then I'm like, all right, it's your turn. I, went, I decided to go first. And the best part about it is they don't let you wait. It's sit, look back, out you go. And by then it's not much you can do about it. <laughs> so like I said, they're filming the whole thing. They have a camera, GoPro, there's video. Oh no, I never watched it. And there's pictures of the whole thing. We get to the bottom, survive, because I'm standing here. And at the end, you have the option of buying a video, overpriced, or the pictures. And they show you the pictures trying to get you to buy them. And the only reason we did, he's got a really good picture of him looking up at the plane. You can see the, other, you know, the last guy jumping out. I look at mine, there's about 180 pictures of me like this, <laughs> looking very, very unhappy. Maybe to the side, still looking unhappy, like that. And your face is all pressed back, very unflattering. <laughs> I have a CD of those now. <laughs> and then he actually made me a card that shows one of those unflattering photos with the caption, best birthday ever. My picture, very sad and then the grumpy cat meme from the internet. And if you're familiar with that, that's what I look like. <laughs> and so I guess the point of the story is, as scary as it was to do that, dating's scarier. And sometimes you just have to jump in and give it a shot. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is brought to you by our story party, Bob Haycock, Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Hannah Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Elizabeth McKetta, and me, Jody Eichelberger. With big time support from the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation, this project is supported by public funding for the arts through the Idaho Commission on the Arts, the Idaho Legislature, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We also receive support from the Boise Arts and History Department. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, our season sponsor, Lunchbox Wax, and the Jump Show sponsor, Bath Planet. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessare. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello. And show photography is by Paul Budge. Shout out to our marketing guru and co-founder, Jessica Holmes. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night. Story Story Night.